Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. This is Grilling at the Green After Hours, the conversation that took place after the show ended. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Everybody, welcome to After Hours here on Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. We're talking with Scott White. I think one of the most knowledgeable guys in the golf industry, and as you know, we've talked to a lot of them here on this show, but Scott's always been very forthright with me and, and telling me what's going on. Um, Scott, I want you to put on your your genie hat here and look out six months and then a year and then two years of what you could possibly foresee for the golf world. Yeah, I, that's uh it's uh, interesting. I, I think for the uh, short term, at least through 2022 and hopefully into 2023, you know, we're going to continue to see people playing golf, sticking with golf, coming back to the game. I think we're going to be in a very healthy situation uh, as an industry and as a sport for, you know, some for, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, the real key is to make sure that, you know, people stay with the game, especially young people. And, um, you know, one thing the industry always struggles with and has been for years is how do you, how do you make it affordable and how do you how do you make it how do you find ways to make the game or around take less time? So, um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more nine hole courses or nine hole green fees. Um, I think Top Golf will continue to grow and evolve, and and you know those sorts of driving ranges uh, and you know driving range slash entertainment complexes will continue to thrive. Um, so I see, I see a lot of, a lot of good things happening with the industry in, in uh, the next two, three, four years. Interesting. You speak of top golf. We have uh, in the Portland area, there's now two new indoor facilities where you can go uh, get in the, the Bay and you can play St. Andrews uh, an, you know, Pebble Beach, a number of Pinehurst, a number of courses like that. And and they just popped up within the last four months and they're sold out all the time now. Yeah, it's a it's a great way to to, you know, continue to enjoy and play golf uh, in inclement weather. Or if you don't have the, the you know, a facility, a, you know, an 18 or nine hole facility near you. You know, I've been to Korea a number of times and, and that's how the, the vast majority of golf is played. It's indoors and simulators. Yeah. And uh, it's a different kind of game, obviously, but uh, it's still legitimate, still gets you out and swinging the golf club. And and, uh, you know, I find it almost as, as satisfying as being out on a on a real fairway. Yeah, the one company, X-Golf, I had one of the partners, Mike Barrett, who is a ex-Portland Trailblazer announcer. Mike does a lot of media work. Good guy. 
Mike got together with a couple of his buddies and they bought an X, uh, X golf franchise. They haven't really done any marketing. There was a couple of TV pieces on it and, um, in the sports page in the local newspaper, they wrote about it and that's about it. And, and they're swamped all the time, like we were saying. And, um, and there, there's a, you go in there, there's a bar in there and they've got bar food and it's very relaxed and they've got eight bays and now you have to make a tea time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very, uh, you know, it's a real social experience. Uh, I've, you know, there's, there's some, there's those sorts of facilities all over the country, but yeah, it's great that you can go in there, you know, swing the golf club. You can be as serious or not as you want and uh, have a beer. And, and, uh, and the great thing is, you know, I think for the most part you pay by time. So if Mm -hmm. you want, you know, if you want to play an hour, you play an hour and you leave, you know, you don't have to commit the entire day to it. Right. I want to circle back to something we talked a little bit about in the regular show. We were talking about how, like in pro shops, you don't really see full sets of clubs and stuff. They're more shoes and balls and clothing and that type of thing. And uh, I think in talking to some of the, the local guys that run the courses here, because of COVID, even though there was a boom of golfers, but because of COVID and the supply chain issues, they've really uh, what I was, streamlined their business a lot. Um, not just because of the clubs, but most of the courses you play around here now, you book your time, you book your tea time online. You can pay <laughs> online. You just kind of show up and they, the starter checks you off and you're ready to go. Yeah. Is there is is there more we can do to streamline it from a business perspective or is that have we kind of reached the pinnacle of that? Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a good question that I'm not sure I have an answer for. I mean, we, we I think we have swung the pendulum so far now that it's almost a you know, the experience at the, at the course with the, with the pro shop or the pro is sort of transactional. Um, you know, it's, you, you show up and you say hello and, 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 you know, and then run off to the first tee, maybe you hit a few balls. I mean, I, 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 I still think that the PGA professional or the shop owner um, or even the kid behind the, the uh, counter, you know, plays a, an important role in the whole experience of golf. And I'd like to see, you know, us get back to it, to, you know, be much more interactive, you know, where you're talking about, you know, new technologies or what's new in this shoe or what's new in this wedge. And it, it, seal, it feels like it's become, you know, really um, uh, clinical and sterile, you know, now when, it, when you go to a golf course and, you know, I know a lot of that's been done, as you said, because of COVID, but it's, you know, the whole game is such a social experience and it's, it's all about interaction. I, I, I'm hopeful that those days are going to return to us where we can, uh, you know, spend more time kind yeah. of poking around the shop and buying some new shirts and, and, uh, seeing what's new in golf equipment and talking about the golf industry with the pro and looking, watching the PGA tournament on the TV and, you know, seeing who's going to win and talking, you know, that, that kind of stuff for me was always, uh, well, it's the reason I got into the golf industry, I did sure. a lot of that, you know, when I was a young kid and uh, those are some of my most favorite memories in the world. Did your family golf when you were growing up? 
Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Connecticut in Southern Connecticut and, uh, you know, golf was a big part of, of what we did, but, you know, we were sort of an outdoor family. We didn't, my dad was a very good player. Um, my brothers and I were okay players. Um, but I, I caddied a lot and, um, uh, you know, was around the game a bit, sure. um, uh, but I wasn't, uh, competitive and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I, I, I played golf as much as I, play tennis and, you know, would, would play baseball and maybe go sailing in Long Island Sound and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So a couple of last questions here, Scott. How much further can we tweak clubs to make the ball go further? I mean, my I wrote something the other day and I threw it out there on Twitter and I got some feedback and it was all positive. You know, it's like the ads from the major companies, you buy this club, we can add 20 yards, you know, to your shot or whatever. My theory was, but if you're at your personal limit, as far as physical capabilities, I'm not sure you're going to get 20 yards out of that, out of that club, that tweak. So it always seems that, you know, everybody wants to go further. And of course, with DJ and Bryson and those pros who are knocking it out there a mile, which we kind of have pipe dreams about, but they're, it's not really relevant to the average golfer, you know, right. but how much more can do you think we can tweak these uh, clubs to, to make that possible? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, we could conceivably do whatever we want to golf clubs and they wouldn't be conforming, but we could certainly pick up distance uh, pretty easily. The materials are there and the, and the technology and the construction techniques are there. But I mean, to keep the integrity of the game, um, you know, you're, I'm sure you're talking about, you know, conforming legal US. Right, right, right. You know, I, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think that there's always you know, room for, um, optimization, uh, and, and, and really, you know, the interaction between the club and the ball is, is critical. I mean, you know, I find that in, in using the launch monitor that, you know, the, the, the ball is, is, is as important as the golf club is in terms of optimizing distance, you know, right. certain spin rates and, and, and compressions that match up with your swing speed and swing type, um, I mean, I think there's an infinite poss infinite possibilities in terms of of optimization. You know, however, I just don't think that we're going to see the the huge increases in distance that we saw. You know, let's just say when the original Big Bertha was was uh, yeah. introduced. Um, I, I just I, I I think we're I don't want to say we're maxed out. We're not maxed out. Um, but we're certainly not going to, you know, nobody's going to see a 20 or a 30 yard increase in, in driver distance, period. End. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Um, and, you know, some of the marketing claims that are made are, you know, borderline. <laughs> um, uh, Sorry, I'm laughing, but I know what you're talking about there. Yeah, I, I kind of chuckle because they're, you know, and, and quite honestly, I was one of the guys that did those for, for many years when I was, you know, at, at at other companies. And, and, uh, you know, there are ways to set up tests and do things to, to, to get more distance than others. And so you can justify some of the claims, but, you know, some of them are borderline irresponsible, quite honestly. Um, so, you know, I, I think really, if it were up to me, um, 
I think people should be focusing more on accuracy. I mean, it's one thing to hit a 300 yard drive um, that's offline by two or three degrees and you end up a fairway over. I mean, I'd much rather take a 260 yard drive that's straight down the middle. So um, it makes the game and scoring a lot easier when you're in play. I actually told the guy yesterday, we were laughing. It was really cold. It was clear as a bell up here yesterday, but man, by the time we made the turn and stuff, it was later in the afternoon. It was really cold. I think we were playing like the 14th or 15th hole. And my second shot, I, I hit it. Uh, and I didn't know where it went. I, I could see it, but I didn't know exactly where it ended up, which is not unusual. So I got up there and I'm looking around and um, I said, Tim, where, I don't know where my ball is. And he points, he goes, it's on the green. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I looked at it and I said, that's not normally where I look for them. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. Well, I, get, I, I thought where you were going with it is, is the response I get sometimes when I don't know where it went. Somebody says it's on the green, but it's not on the green you were aiming for. Yeah. It's on the green in the next fairway. Yeah. Or the, it's the next hole over. Yeah. I've done that too. Yeah. I've done that too. Um, last thing I want to touch on, Scott, with you today is we were talking about clubs, balls. You know, Mr. Nicholas comes out and he's, Roll back the ball, roll back the ball. Um, if you to me, if you want to have that discussion, maybe about the guys on tour, that's fine. Uh, I don't think we should be rolling back the ball for the amateur players, weekend warriors, duffers, hackers, whatever you want to call them. I'd like your thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think. I, I don't know if I have a well-formulated opinion, but I don't think we should be changing the equipment for the amateur game at all. I just don't don't think it makes sense. Um, I, I do think that there may be an opportunity to limit the equipment that the pros use the same way. You know, I look at baseball, like, you know, they don't allow aluminum bats and they shouldn't. Um, right. and, 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 you know, if the wooden bat is akin to, uh, you know, the golf ball, then, then, you know, I think maybe there should be some limitations. Uh, again, it's, it's not to limit the performance of, of the athletes on the PGA tour, but it's really to, to, to save the integrity of the game. Right. Um, because, you know, Bryson and DJ and a whole host of other guys, you know, they're, they're, they're guys that are going to come along behind them that can hit the ball further. And, and I, you know, I, I hate to see, you know, some, some, you know, a lot of old records broken and courses obsolete. Um, you know, even this, this, it's going to be interesting this summer at the U S open at, at, in Brookline. I mean, that's one of the classic yeah, great golf courses. And I've had the fortune, good fortune to play it a number of times. Um, and I'm, I'm afraid, you know, these guys just might, might annihilate that course because it's, it's not very long and it's fairly straight. Um, It's going to be, it's not like Wingfoot. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. There you go. Scott White, CEO of Ben Hogan Golf, as usual. Oh, I didn't ask you, and I'm sorry about this. And I've got the, I don't have COVID, but I got the congestion today. Um, Have you got new stuff coming out besides looking at the ball, Scott? We do. We've got a number of new, uh, new irons coming. Um, we're, we're, we're not going to have nearly the number of new product introductions that we've had in years past, just because our product line is, is really solid right now. And, sure. uh, 
I don't see any reason to bring stuff out just for the sake of bringing stuff out. Um, you know, we're always aware and cognizant that, you know, we want to make sure that the product is better than the previous model. And it's, you know, would live up to something Ben Hogan would put his name on. So the answer is yes, but it, it, we're not going to have, you know, a complete overhaul of our product line this year. Cool. All right. Scott White, CEO of Ben Hogan Golf. Thank you for being with us again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Scott. And you're always gracious with your time with us here. Likewise, JT. Let's do it again soon. We will. Thanks, everybody. Uh, enjoy your week. Get out there. Have some fun. And uh, check out Ben Hogan Golf online. Uh, works for me. And uh, I, I will uh, stand behind those clubs 100%. Anyway, we'll be back next week. And uh, have a good week, everybody. Take care.